Hello, my name is Father Peter Musson. And my name is Scott Powell. And you're listening to a podcast that is called The Word on the Hill with the Lanky Guys. We are known as the Lanky Guys. Yes, and we are large in Australia, in Kazakhstan, and um, I think we might have a Eastern listener. Boulder County. In Easter Boulder County. <laughs> we might even have a listener in Gun Barrel. Uh, we have, I know one. Yeah. One for sure. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> this is the, the the attempt. So many starts. Yeah, yeah. This is so many starts that we're just trying to get here. When we've, I think we've gotten here. What was really fun is that uh, the other night, um, uh, a friend was uh, talking about how he has noticed a technical improvement in the uh, podcast. What did he mean by that, or she? Um, uh, they, we've used the same technology. Yeah, and that's what I said. I said, we've no. been doing the ex- exact same way forever. And he's like, but it sounds better now. And I was like, that's because we're better yeah, at Yeah, I think podcasting. it's we sound better. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> what Was that really, what, I mean, was there any more details? I'm fascinated. I want to know more. Yeah, Tell the, me the, more. That was it. Okay. Well, then we in, don't do fact, those ones over the fact, phone anymore. For him, a friend from another state had said, you listen to those, uh, what do they call them, lanky guys? And he said, oh, what do you they mean, call them? You mean <laughs> Father Peter? And I said, absolutely. And Scott. Yeah. I mean- I know, I'm just kidding. I mean, when they talk to, I mean, when people talk to you about the podcast, yes. what do they, do they, do they like say that you're primary and that I'm secondary? No. What Maybe. Do they, I don't know. That's a always, fair question. Now when, I'm going to have to pay attention. When they talk to me, they always put you as primary. They put me as primary? Uh, absolutely. I don't think They're, that. Everybody's like, everybody loves Scott. Oh my gosh. And everyone tolerates Father Peter. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> Dude, you know what I miss? What? I miss the culture of tolerance. Do you remember the culture? Oh, when it was the, like, the halcyon days when we tried to tolerate each other. Yeah, yeah, like let's tolerate each other. It's like I miss those days. Yeah, if, if you don't know what we're talking about, we I feel like we've actually come to a cultural shift where we used to almost like, not mockingly, but we used to get, kind of poke fun at the you know the tolerance bumper stickers. But I actually do feel like you're, you're right in case that nobody's following us. I do feel like we've moved beyond it, and we're actually not as a culture okay with even even tolerating each other any longer. Yeah, the, yeah. because tolerance was unsustainable. Right, tolerance, and that's why we've yeah we had to move on. Moved on my, to hatred. My, my my truth, your truth, that's done. We've moved from love in the '60s to right. tolerance in the '90s to abject hatred in the two thousand teens. Yeah. Well, speaking of positively eras, <laughs> it is the twenty second. Yep. 22nd, Sunday of Ordinary Time. Deuce, deuce. Tutu, baby. Okay, our first reading is from Sirach. Yes. Chapter 3, 17 to 18, jumping to 20, jumping to 20, 29. (laughs) That is a little piecemeal. Our responsorial psalm is coming from Psalm 68, verses 4 to 5, 6 to 7, and 10 through 11, with the response coming from 11b. Second reading, Hebrews 12, 18 and 19, 22 to 24a. What? Hebrews chapter 12, 18 to 19. And then 22 to 24a. Yeah, you're right. Sorry, I thought you missed something. Our gospel is coming from the gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verses 1, and then jumping over the most important part of the story to verse 7 through 14. Sorry, that was slight editorial. (laughs) It's not the most important part, but it's interesting. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I did that fast because I all of a sudden felt guilty that we just like, we're just talking too much because I've had so much pressure. I thought you meant like a, a, a dietary fast. I was like, I did that fast. I was like, what fast did you do? <laughs> you did that quickly. Sorry, I, I'm caught up. I spoke quickly. I am there. Because, Why? Because I, um, I'm afraid that you're going to judge me for saying too many commentary things me at the beginning. Me personally? Of, no, anybody. Oh, yeah. You. The well, one you who's know listening. I, are, I already judge you. 
<laughs> the other the other people they're still <laughs> on your side dude okay so let me uh talk to you a little bit about crac please and, do and it's and it's kind of general context okay are you ready for it Tell i gotta me. be honest actually under second consideration i have no idea what the book of crac yeah you is do it's, no come uh, on, well, come on. Talk, talk to me dude all right so um the author is a guy who's only identified as as jesus ben sira um, not Jesus of the Gospels, Jesus, but another Jesus. Jesus, of course, is just the name uh, Joshua, Yeshua, Yeshua. Okay. Yahshua, Yeshua. Yeshua? <laughs> Yeshua, thank you for getting me there. <laughs> Which means Jesus, the son of Sirach. So um, this guy named Sirach, the, the book was, um, I don't know, I've got all these facts about it. It was originally composed in Hebrew, we believe. It was translated into Greek by his grandson. You know what that guy. means, right? Is uh, that he wrote it while drinking coffee. He was brewed. Coffee. Coffee? Or or tea. Yeah. Um, Yeah, his grandson actually identifies himself in the prologue and basically says, I'm translating my grandfather's work into Greek. Which is, it's one of those places in biblical interpretation, it's really handy when someone actually says that. Like, oh, thanks, man. (laughs) That's really nice to know. (laughs) Thanks for keeping us on task. Um, Yeah, it was probably written around, there's a couple historical references in it about uh, one of the particular high priests at the time. Um, this king that was around. So it was probably somewhere in the the early 200s to late 100s, right? Which the reason that's important is that it puts it in the time just post-exile, right? So it's probably being translated into Greek around the time that the Septuagint, the first Greek version of the Old Testament is being composed, right? It might have been composed up there. Um, But what that means is that it, it... the theme of the book, and it falls in what's called the wisdom literature, and I feel like we've been talking a lot about the wisdom literature the last couple of weeks, but really it it carries on this theme and wisdom of the marriage of wisdom and Torah, and that's actually one of the things that kind of distinguishes it. Um, it's, again, this kind of post-exile. We were taken slavery by Babylon. We've been sort of set free, right? They've resettled Jerusalem. They're not totally free. They still have you know, control over them. But it's asking this question about Jewish identity post-exile. Now that we don't really have land that we possess anymore or the presence of God in the temple or all of these things, what actually makes us God's people? Mm. How do you discern that in the world? And That's so, not important for the Catholic Church right now. It's profoundly important. But That's it also, what I'm saying. No, I know, I know. But it, it shows that history loves to... It, what, what's the famous saying? History doesn't always repeat itself, but it does rhyme. Have you heard that before? Uh, yeah, I've heard that. I like which, that one. Which is important, right? It, it does. So it's it's fusion of wisdom and Torah. And the reason I point that out, we've talked a lot about other wisdom literature that talks a lot about trying to discern wisdom, which is understanding God's way of ordering things. That's my little shorthand definition of wisdom. Oh, I like understanding that. Understanding God's way of ordering things. Oh, yeah. Um, through creation. But the book of Sirach does this sort of idea of how do you find wisdom in creation and the things that are, but also trying to marry it with the Torah, because this is really, and and again, like you said, this is the Catholic experience. God's goodness, God's love for us can be perceived in the things that are. That's true. Absolutely. God has also chosen in a particular way to reveal himself both through his scriptures and through his church, right? Yes. And post the exile, there was sort of this loss of 
national identity, religious identity, right? And so the, the quest was, we just have to figure out how to see God in creation because we've lost everything. Mm. But now Syriac is saying, but, but he did still reveal himself in the Torah, and we can't forget that he spent all of this time through the course of salvation history showing us. And we haven't fully lost that. We just are a little bit distant from the time he did that. So it's trying to, I mean, scholars think that it's trying to wed this idea of creation-based wisdom, seeing God in the things that are, with actual revelation of salvation history. Mm. And if you put them together, we begin to see not just who God is, but who we are, which is what Sirach is trying to get to, right? So it's... um, it's not reductionistic. It doesn't reduce wisdom to Torah. It doesn't reduce wisdom just to creation either. It says God can choose all sorts of ways in which to reveal himself. But the other thing that's kind of important is that there's um, all that being said, there's really no discernible structure to the book. It's just sort of a collection of sayings. It's punctuated by, you know, um, praises of God and words of wisdom and encouragement. It's basically formatted in terms of a bunch of little pep talks, right? Mm. Hey, it's okay. Here's who God is. Here's who you're supposed to be. And then it kind of goes intermittently into praising God for that and then kind of goes and does another pep talk. But it's, so it's not one of those books. Fervorinos. It's a bunch of fervorinos punctuated by praise. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's what the book sort of is doing. So it's not one of those books that you'd kind of pick up and you, you have to read from cover to cover. It's one of those beautiful books, kind of like Psalms, that you can literally pick it up and just kind of pick a psalm or two and be inspired and kind of get edified and like, all right, there's some stuff to chew on for me. That's what Sirach is up to. Um, and a lot of it is very practical. A lot of it is very day-to-day. This is what family life looks like. This is what marriage looks like. This is what child rearing looks like. This is just what life ought to look like in, in, for someone who is perceiving who God is and the things that are. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's Sirach. So the passage that we're given, which is in chapter three, it's it's uh, a little fervorino on humility, basically. Which again, it's it's there is a context, but we don't necessarily need the whole of the context to discern this because it's given to us in these little bite-sized chunks. So my child, conduct your affairs with humility. So when you're going about the world, you're doing your thing. Be humble, and you will be loved more than a giver of gifts. I have to say, as soon as I look at this, mm. um. I read there's a very distinct sense of reverential approach. Absolutely. That's the first thing I'm seeing. I I look at humility in this sense and and I see like the one who is humble. I mean, it's like when my mom dropped me off at college, she just said, son, pay attention. Did she like just pull up to the curb and like get out? As we were driving, actually, I'm kidding. 66, 66 Mustang. Um, I you were con- like in convert- 19, 1966 when no, I no, first went to college. No, no, we were we were in a 66 Mustang. You got dropped off to college in a 1966 Mustang? Hex, hex yeah, dude. Wow. You're cooler than I thought you were. Hey. And, or your mom is. And it was it was actually beautiful. I remember the clouds. You know how it's like uh, like uh, like God cards where like the clouds break and there's like those rays and it goes across the landscape? Yes. Those are yeah. called God cards? I don't know. I always think that like God is great and then you have like the clouds with the rays coming through. That's like, I just, that's what I call totally. it. Totally. Screen, Protestant screensavers. Yes, exactly. No, I, I mean that in the most... <laughs> Generous term, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's so. We were driving along, and, and I remember my mother gave me one piece. Sorry, of I'm advice. really proud of that. I just thought of that. <laughs> that was that was. But it's pretty. right, isn't it? Absolutely. Okay, sorry. And my mom, as that's happening, she looks at me and she just says, "Son, Christian music videos." <laughs> sorry. Anyway, keep keep, keep going. <laughs> Your mom looked at you and says, "Son, son, pay attention. People will tell you who they are." Mm. 
Which is always the advice you give to me when I'm nervous about meeting with faculty or something at CU. Right. You just listen. Mm. And so it's it, like I hear this. It says because if you actually receive someone, and people say it in, in other ways. They say they're not going to hear what you say, but they're going to remember what they were able to say when they were with you. They're going to remember what they were able to say when they were with you. Absolutely. Interesting. Like if you create mm. an environment by which somebody can fully express mm. themselves, yes. they are going to love you because because like so mm. people have so much inside of them, but they don't have an avenue by which it can be received usually. Right. And people desperately want to reveal themselves. They Absolutely. Want to be known. Because they want <clears throat> to be loved. And there's yeah. something intrinsic to the human person that says you cannot love what you do not know. As Thomas yeah. Aquinas defines it. I was reading something about like John D. Rockefeller or something, like the big businessman of the earlier part of the century or last century. But And he was saying it was something similar, actually, just about his, a little fervorino on making friends. Right. And it, when if you want to have more friends than you know what to do with, stop talking and just start listening to people. Right. Just don't talk. Listen to what they have to say, which is he was saying it like in a business sense. But it's a pretty universal thing, which is beautiful. Right. But but that's not enough for Sirach. So that's that's true and he throws that out. But then he takes it a step further than that, doesn't he? And he goes towards God. Well, he yes. says humble yourself the more the greater you are and you will find favor with God. Humble yourself the more the greater you are. Humble yourself the more the greater you are. How many times have you felt threatened by something or someone that you feel like is doing something better than you? Or that you're, you know, trying to do mm. this thing and you're like, man, that person's just getting way more credit for it than I am. And I'm doing this thing too. And how come nobody's paying attention to me? It's almost like, which is something that I've been struggling with lately in a particular way. And this yeah. reading is like, the greater you are, humble yourself more. And the more you humble yourself, despite your greatness or whatever it is that you're doing that is good or important, you will find more favor with God. So the more important things that you're doing, the more you should actually be humbling himself is the instruction that Sirach gives to us. Which is hitting me in a really particular way. Yeah, that's these ways that we're threatened by stuff. Scott keeps on looking wryly at me. No, not it's not wry. No, no, it's, no, no. It, it, it totally wry, is. It, you, I can hear it in your voice because it, it's it's because you see it. Yeah, it's this beautiful answer to the conversation that we were having even before the podcast, yeah. which is just like, how do you um, know that you're doing good things when other people? oftentimes are getting praised for good things that are so close to what you're doing. <laughs> and you're not. And you're not. Right. And like, and, and this is like such a beautiful answer. But that's not even the answer. The set, that's the setup for the answer. What you just asked, and again, this is our particular application of this today. Right. And yours might be totally different. But the answer is actually the next line. Because you just asked, what do you do? When you, it feels like you're not getting what you need or what you deserve or the attention that you seek or whatever. Or, or you, that you don't feel loved because you don't yeah. feel known. And what Sirac says is, hey, guess what? What is too sublime for you? Seek not. Into things beyond your strength, search not. And it's basically saying, what do I do? This person's getting more. The, the temptation is to tear the other down or do whatever. And the response is, yes, number one, humble yourself. The greater you are. But if you don't understand, if you're in that place, you're like, how come I'm not getting more? How come I'm not getting more attention, more love, more whatever? That's a question that maybe it's too sublime. And we don't know the answers. And we mm. don't know in God's ways why he's allowing that to happen. That's what I'm hearing here. What's That's too sublime for you to understand. Your job is to be faithful. 
your job is to do the job you were asked to do, not to question why you're not getting enough attention for it or being built up enough for it. That's too sublime for you. Your job is to be faithful. This is really, this is actually a really hard thing in a profoundly educated society. Yeah. Yeah. Because mm. what, what I'm- And a social media driven society. Think, put those two things together. Right. So we have a tremendous amount of information, yep. a tremendous level of education. And a tremendous capacity to be our own little celebrities. Absolutely. Right. In the midst of this. And so you say, okay, can I say that I feel like there's something too sublime for me? Societally, probably not, but I, in I truth, don't, yes. I this is the thing is that I don't. Is that a rhetorical question? Should I not be? <laughs> <laughs> oh, rhetorical. But, oh, rhetorical means that you could, should consider it, not necessarily answer it. Five, five, forty-two. <laughs> no, I, like because because I look actually, I, I'm asking myself that question. Um, there's no book that I have any hesitation to engage. Really. Yeah, I'm I'm unafraid to engage anything. Wow, I don't share that. <laughs> really? <laughs> no, I'm afraid of stuff. There there's there's a lot of books like I know that given the proper amount of time, mm. I can understand anything that you put before me. See, that's an important disc that's an important caveat that you put in there though. Oh. That I don't always put. I need to understand immediately. You know what I mean? Um, Which is, uh, I want to be famous now. I want to have success now. I want to be putting in the groundwork to see all of the fruit of it now. Mm. Because it's really hard to. You sound like to... Veruca Salt. Oh, Veruca Salt. I want it now. Yeah, classic Veruca Salt again. And that's just the temptation of our age. Dude, right? by the way, somebody on YouTube Uh-oh. put this phenomenal thing saying that the movie Snowpiercer is a sequel to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory I've never from heard the seventies. Snowpiercer. Yeah, dude, it's totally messed up. It's, <laughs> it's but the theor- the theories are totally phenomenal as far as the narrative goes. All I'm right. just saying. Okay. All right, I'm in. Okay, but the statement you made is is one of humility. Yes, because you you're not saying you're saying I'm. I mean, it sounds like a pompous thing to say when you at first glance when you're like right. I can engage anything. But you're saying with the proper amount of time, I'm not right away. I mean, it's going to take time and patience and reflection and everything else, none of which we want to have, right? Right. But you're like, no, that requires humility. Well, but the, but there is also this other sense that culturally, do we believe that there's anything too sublime for us? That somehow there is a level. Do you see how I'm not answering? Because it's rhetorical. It's rhetorical. But uh, somehow in a level with this profound access to information, with some of the highest levels of of education that we've ever seen in the history of the world, And our ability to engage interesting things, yeah. we we still we would we would not say culturally there's anything too sublime for us. And I actually want to be able to say, you know, what there is something that is out of mm. my grasp. Yeah, and I, I and but but I, I struggle with the humility to be able to say that, which is what all the saints say. Right, they feel perfectly comfortable saying stuff like that. Right, which is probably what makes them saints. Into things beyond your strength, search not. What does it actually mean to be strong? And this is this was actually my Sunday. This was my Sunday um, homily this last week. My Sunday homily was that that, that ultimately was honesty. Mm, Real right. strength is honesty. Yes, it was. I, I remember that. Yeah. 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 So the mind of a sage appreciates proverbs, mm. and an attentive ear is the joy of the wise. Yeah. You have to be reverent. Yes, it's all about reverence. You appreciate that people are actually telling you something on how to go through the world to actually give you a moral. 
This is the thing. Is you ask anybody contemporary age what it means to be moral? Oh, boy. And they're going to get angry immediately as if somehow morality is a strength. I mean, sorry, morality is weakness, not a strength. Do you think that's true? Because I think that everyone just would choose to ownership over morality. I mean, I do, I do think I have become, I've told you this, I, I've become more and more convinced that the age of relativism is ending and the age of refocused truths is beginning where everyone says, no, my truth is truth. Even if it's not what you believe, you're wrong. You're, I'm going to throw a milkshake at you, dude. And that will be your truth. No, but I mean, this whole idea of relativism is said that what's okay for you is not necessarily okay for me, but you can believe that. I don't necessarily believe that. And that's your truth and not my truth. But I, I don't think that's the case in our age anymore. No, I, mean, I don't think we're, we, we're past that. The Catholic Church can't go out in public and be like, we believe that this is something that's morally bad for the person. And everyone would be like, well, that's okay for you to think, but I disagree. They would say, no, you are wrong and you are bigoted and you are you are filled with hateful language, right? Right. There's no relativism anymore. And so people do believe in a morality, but we've just reshaped what morality we think is. I just don't think you can even use the word morality. Maybe not. Maybe not. I, would, I, I don't even think you can I use the word ethic. I actually just, I, I, because as soon as you say that, you're saying that there's something universal. And even though that people want to claim the particular as the universal, I don't think they want to use the, word, the words morality or ethic anymore. I don't know. I'm not convinced on that. I don't know, but that's where that's which the only response for that is this this refrain: "God, in your goodness, you have made a home for the poor." Mm. This is the the truth is is that these large gigantic movements of the world, mm. in the midst of this, it's like no, like I'm poor, yeah. and and actually, as I approach God, I know that I have a place with Him. Yes. And I know that I am valued and treasured and loved in the midst of that. And when well, I stop feeling that and when people stop feeling that, they get angry and hostile and like that somehow they're, they've been betrayed. Which is a kind of natural response because the, 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 only, the only way that Sirach's words work mm -hmm. is in the context of Psalm 68. And what Psalm 68 is saying, well, what it's doing rather, so the context of Psalm 68, this was originally... Uh, believed to be a processional, uh, a, a processional liturgy. So the song that you would sing during the procession into the temple, celebrating the triumphant and glorious rule of God as the King of all Kings. Mm. That was how Psalm 68 was composed. And so if this is a processional hymn celebrating God as King, that's the only way that there's room for me to have things that are too sublime for me is if I'm not God and there is a God who is God, mm. then I can be humble. Then I actually don't. I mean, our world is so spun out and stressed out and twisted because it's, it's not just that we are all so self-centered and prideful that we're making ourselves gods. I'm sure that's a part of it. But I think there is this deep and utter human fear that there is no God and I've got to do it all myself. Right. So I'm terrified of there being something too sublime for me because that means something is not in my control and then I'm helpless. But the psalm is saying, no, it's okay to be a little bit helpless. It's okay to have things that are too strong for you and too sublime for you because there is a God whom you worship who nothing is too sublime for, nothing is too great for, nothing is too strong for. And as long as you fall under his protection, you are fine. But there's some place to put that fear, this right. deep human terror 
that what if I can't do it? What if I don't get recognized? What if I'm not enough? Right. It's okay. You're not enough, but you're enough for God because he is yours and you are his. So the fact that this is about God's kingly rule, Mm. and that's where he's made a home for the poor, i.e. all of us, because we are not God, and so we are impoverished in different ways, there's room in our worldview for this to work. But Sirach doesn't make sense outside of the psalm, does it? No. No, it doesn't. Hmm. Well, that takes us to Hebrews, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm just... Hebrews actually throws us the other the other side of this coin. Quite frankly, I think. Well, it's funny because I keep on thinking about air conditioning. <laughs> okay, <laughs> like Tell Lord, me more. The, the home of the poor. Like I always think, like, dude, if you want to find air conditioning, just go into a church in the middle of the day. Let's hmm. say that that life has become too hot, and you're like, <laughs> and you're you're at home, and you're like. I don't know where to go. Mm. There, there, there's something always cool about a church, you know. The, yeah, you're right. And and that there's true. Some, there's something about the 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 providence of a of the, for the poor mm. that you actually like in the midst of heat. You mm. actually there's something cool. There's a refuge. There's a refuge. There's a place that's safe. I always feel like a church is this refuge, and like a home for the poor. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. Like, dude, if you're homeless, that's you right. should go just hang out in a church all day. I would. Yeah, because, and and that's my hope. Because there's a safety to it, yeah. Right, and I remember, I grew up yeah. at Holy Ghost in Denver. <clears throat> yeah. And I remember um, that they that literally, um, the the priest there, when it was super cold, he would just have them sleep in the church. He would just Woody turn Woody. up the heat, and and uh, and Father Woody, he would just- Yeah, and, Father, oh, and, who was- who was, Famous around the archdiocese of Denver, right? And 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 the and the poor. I mean, because yeah. he actually made a home for the poor out of the heart of the love of Christ. Literally, yeah. And like, yeah. and and then had the first purpose-built uh, homeless shelter that has ever been. <clears throat> yeah, it was always a repurposed building, whereas he actually built it specifically for that. Yeah. So I yeah. don't know. I just I just think about that. But then then the Hebrews just flips it on its head. Hebrews flips it upside down because it shows the other side of this. So Hebrews is actually recalling. Um, actually, a specific moment in Exodus. Um, it, so it says, brothers and sisters, you have not approached that which could be touched, a blazing fire and a gloomy darkness and a storm and a trumpet blast and a voice speaking words that those who heard them begged that no message further be addressed to them. What the heck is that? Well, that's recalling this moment, remember, in the, in the story of the Exodus, when Israel was released from slavery in Egypt, when they went out to Mount Sinai, when God appeared on Mount Sinai in a blazing fire and... Gloomy is such an interesting translation. I I don't have other translations in front of me, but I'm just curious about that. Gloomy darkness. Um, (laughs) Gloomy darkness makes it sound like something that's not of God, but it's it's this. There were storm clouds and thunder, and there was fire and all of this stuff that spoke to the presence of God descended on Mount Sinai, and there was a storm and trumpet blast. And if you recall, originally when the Ten Commandments were first given, it says that all of Israel standing below Mount Sinai was hearing the words of the Ten Commandments spoken in the second person singular, right? So they were saying they were hearing in their ears, you, Father Peter Musset, shall not steal. You, Scott Powell, 
shall not bear false witness. Like they were hearing it in the second person to themselves and everybody started losing it. They're like, this is terrifying. We are too scared. We can't hear this. This is too much for us. Right. They're like, we don't want to hear the voice of God anymore. We don't right. want any more of this. They're like, Moses, you go, you go get it for us. <laughs> go up the mountain, get the message, just bring it back to us. We're cool. <laughs> we can't hear this. It's too much. And it's a moment where actually what Sirach is saying actually has its limits, right? Because Sirach is not speaking about a kind of false humility, Right, right, which we which we do all the time too, right? I or, don't do that. Or a misguided humility. So there's false humility of like, oh no, 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 I'm not as good as you said. No, keep giving me compliments, but no, 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 I can't accept that. The, the you know, the, the, we all hate those people. But or thanks for saying that about me. Yeah, you bet. Or the or the the misplaced humility, which is basically lies about ourselves. Right. When we actually do believe, no, I am worthless and I, I don't have any right to these things. Right. And what Israel is collectively believing is that, no, we have no place hearing the voice of God. This is too much. It's too scary. And he terrifies us. And that's the wrong response. Now, God is something that should should give us awe and, and be humbled by, certainly, but they came to the point where it was so much for them. They said, no, we don't want to hear this God anymore. Yes. It's too they much. They begged that it would be removed from them. Moses, you go do it. And what Hebrews is getting at is that, yeah, that's they did not have access to the grace in which we now have in Jesus Christ, which has made those terrifying moves and, and words of God actually palatable to us. Now we have ears that can hear him. And they probably had access to that through the grace of God in the Old Testament too, but they weren't able to tap into it. And so God, in his great mercy and love, said, fine, I'll work through a mediator. That's cool. I will respect that. But I don't want you to stay there forever. I don't want you to always stay as a people that are terrified by me. Now it's time to come into your own. Which, if, so, you, if you listen in this reading from yeah. Hebrews, what are we afraid of? The appearance of angels, that you'll, you're going to die if you see an angel. Where is that? And so we've, uh, in, uh, we are, uh, you've approached Mount Zion, the city of living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, yeah. and countless angels in, in festival, festival gathering. And the assembly, the firstborn enrolled in heaven. The firstborn the, being Jesus. Yep. God, the judge of all, yeah. the father, and the spirits of the just made perfect the saints. If and I, Jesus. Yeah, the mediator. And the mediator of the new covenant, the new Moses. And then the sprinkled blood that speaks more eloquently than that of Abel, which is saying we're healing actually at the root of our approach towards God. In say, the that one, of, say that line one more time. We're being heal, healed. Big time. At the root of the problem. Yes, because that last line is so important. The sprinkled blood that speaks more eloquently. That I, I've always actually been really taken by the wording of that sentence. Me too. Speaks more. Jesus' blood on the cross speaks more eloquently than did the blood of Abel. And do you remember what the blood of Abel spoke? Um, vengeance. Vengeance. What does the blood of Jesus speak? It was, it, it's, it's not my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my brother. Prepare to die. <laughs> That's what the blood of Abel says. Yes. Yeah. What does Jesus' blood say? Forgive. Forgive them father for they do not know what they do. Right. It is more eloquent. It is more right. And you can almost create, I, I've created in my head a little juxtaposition here of, 
you have the Old Testament, because I mean, that's what Hebrews is doing. It's basically taking, it's written to Hebrews, right? Jewish people who have become believers in Jesus, who we believe might be facing some kind of persecution that's making them kind of want to throw in the towel and say, I don't know if I want to do this Christianity thing. I kind of want to go back. Things were a little more comfortable before. And so Hebrews is saying, look, if you actually understood what you had then and what you have access to now, you could never go back. Right. And what they were seeing at, at Sinai in the Old Testament was fire, darkness, storm, and horrifying trumpets. That's what they saw and perceived. But what was actually behind the fire and the darkness and the storm and the trumpets were the heavenly Jerusalem, countless angels and festal gathering, the assembly of the firstborn. Who's assembled at the foot of Mount Sinai? All of the firstborn sons, the whole nation of firstborn, gathered to hear God's word who will not hear it. And God, the judge of all, the spirits of the just made perfect. It's actually describing what they could not see at Sinai, but was always present at Sinai. That's the juxtaposition I'm, I'm kind of pulling out of this. Which is so interesting. The, the, other, the other week I was trying to convince uh, St. Thomas to, to consider Aquinas? our uh, the the parish here. The, no. I was trying to convince St. Thomas Aquinas, please, St. Thomas, would you consider And he wrote me a treatise. It is symbolic capacity. <laughs> so I was trying to say, like, you actually, like, uh, humility says that I'm going to look at what's in front of me in a way, giving it gra- the gravity that it can have. Giving then, it reverence. Giving it reverence for the context <clears throat> of that which is big yes. and that which is immediate. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, it was really interesting. I was actually talking to uh, to uh, 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 one of Pat Gruber's daughters this morning. Mm. For those of you who don't know, I of was which there are many. Yeah, I was um, I was on a uh, the Real Life Catholic, uh, which you can watch on Amazon Prime. Oh, with Christopher with Chris Christophanic, and I was off roading, and um, and at a certain point. Um, I uh, basically screw up and I drive my Jeep into some water and like capsize it in a bunch of water. And so Pat you Gruber- ca- You didn't capsize it. it. That means flipped over, doesn't it? Capsize. I mean, no, capsize is just like it's dead in the water. That's not what capsize means, but- Really? Yeah, you can break out Siri if you Define want to. Define <laughs> capsize. As a verb, it means of a boat. Dang it. Oh, you win. Don't press me on the Don't grammar. Press man. me. All right. <laughs> so basically your boat was in the water. Yeah, my, my Jeep dies Jeep, in the so. water. And and it's really interesting because I was looking at it in a symbolic way. And I was like, here's a priest who makes a stupid mistake, capsizes in the water, mm. and then a layman says, What's rule number one? And then teaches me how to actually get it out of the water. What what you've said that to me a couple times even before the podcast. Is yeah. rule number one, do not drive your Jeep into a lake? Fast. <laughs> well said. Yeah. So that's like rule number was one. Was it on a Sunday that you did this? No. Oh, man. Because, so this gospel reading we get. Okay. Right. Sorry. Fin- yeah. Basically, wanna, wanna... There, there's a symbolic quality of saying, like, the lady is like trying to tell yes, the yes, church, yes. guess what? Here's some things that how you can actually get out of being dead in the water mm. as the church. And, and if you're actually willing to listen, and be and humble yourself in, in what's being said, then we're going to get out of this. I think you've actually said more than you plan to say. I pro- I like it when that happens. And I don't know what to do with it, and I'm not going to try to make a false connection, but, but hang with me for a sec. Yeah. All right, so this reading from the gospel starts by saying, on the Sabbath, Jesus went to dine in the home of one of the leading Pharisees, some really important Pharisee. 
and the people were there observing him carefully. Now, what you're going to hear on Sunday is a big jump all the way from there to verse 7, which is Jesus telling a parable to people about being humble. What we miss in between, because we jump over it in the reading, is this uh, incident I lost my place. This incident in chapter 14 of as Jesus is on the Sabbath eating at the home of some guy, there was a man there who had dropsy, which uh, dropsy. Um, Basically, it, he has like a overburdened a of fluid, water. Fluid a, a, retention. Edemia. Right? Yeah, this, this terrible condition that he's probably suffering greatly. And it says, Jesus spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, as this guy is literally there probably suffering from this tremendous burden. And he said, all right, guys, is it? lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Should I, should we heal this guy? And what do they respond? Nothing. They're quiet. They're like, what are you doing? Because people are listening. Like everyone's gathered around, but they were silent and he took him and he healed him and then he let him go. And then he said to them, which one of you having a son or an ox that's fallen into a well or a Jeep that drove into a lake will not immediately pull it out on the Sabbath day? And they could not respond to this. That's why I asked if it was on the Sabbath day. It actually was on the Sabbath. It was not on the Lord's day. Well, see, your Jeep fell into a well. And what man, having driven his Jeep into a lake on the Sabbath day, will not pull it out? <laughs> Which is it's a funny image. But, right. But he's saying, look, and, and it's there. That I, I think this is significant that it's really hard to understand this parable that Jesus says about this banquet and the people who take their seats of honor and really you should humble yourself and take the last place. It's really hard to understand the context of that unless you know what just happened, Mm. which is this guy is suffering under a burden and Jesus seeks to heal him, even though it's the Sabbath day. And although the Pharisees are silent on this occasion, we know all of the other times in the gospels where they utterly rebuke him for doing good and healing someone on the Sabbath. Right. And their their silence, perhaps, or their unwillingness to actually help this person who desperately needs help on the Sabbath day is a kind of a false humility or a false strength, saying we're going to put all of our weight in our understanding of this norm that God has given us. And we want everyone to know about this. And we want everyone to see it. But we're not actually going to humble ourselves enough to help this guy. Because mm. it actually does take some humility. It does. And then it takes Jesus going to the religious leaders and saying, I'm going to show you how to get the guy out of the proverbial lake on the Sabbath. Which is kind of like you're saying it took the layperson to go to the religious leader and say, hey, man, we got to do this differently. We've we got to get the, the Jeep out of the lake. Right. And we've got to fix this. And we've, and we've got to fix this, which is what Jesus is doing. Now, right. he's the king of kings. He is the high priest of high priests. I mean, yes, obviously. But there is a certain imagery of what's going on here. Well, th- this is what's really hard. The religious is, leaders were a little lost. Well, this is what's, yeah, what, what's really hard is that we experience in, a, in, a, in an age right now... <sighs> Okay, let me strike that. Okay. Jesus was the most unexpected Messiah you could have imagined. I think that's true. That the Holy Spirit and the action of God coming through a man, it was like you looked at him and it's it's bewildering to be able to accept it. Yes. 
And those who were able to do it even struggled with it. Yes, absolutely. Because they're like, okay, Lord, you're just way more challenging than we know what to do with, even though we see the works and we see the actions and we understand your words. But we struggle to understand your words and understand your actions, and we. But 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 we're compelled mm. by what you're doing, and we and we're trying to grasp this work that's in yeah. front of us, and yeah. and that's actually really like where we are in the church. We're yes. we're struggling to grasp the work that God is doing and to humble ourselves to what He really is doing, and that's like, well, the, I feel that in my staff. It's like I, the other day we we were trying to determine our theme. Mm. Our theme for the year was this: uh, is uh, is First Thessalonians two eight, yeah. and I was like, faithful friendship. That was like where I got to. I was like, how do I summarize this? And then one of our staff, Megan, was like, we should throw it into Latin, Amicus Fidelis, because <laughs> everything sounds cooler in Latin. Everything sounds cooler in Latin. So we did have, so our theme is Amicus Fidelis because it sounds next awesome. year our theme will be everything is cooler in Latin. But that's, that's for next. <laughs> that's year. for next year. Yeah. But but there was this part of me that was like, I should have thought of that, and I like <laughs> like right uh, versus saying, I'm the like, priest. I'm the priest. I'm the Latiny one. Right, and yeah. and like actually no, our our job is to pay attention for the spirit in a humble way. And to be able to draw that back together and to allow all of the movements of the spirit to come back together in one. And it's a funny thing because the 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 sin and the scandals in the church are vast and complicated and all sorts of stuff. Too but sublime for us to too understand. Too sublime for us to understand. But there there it does need to be noted that there has been a lot of folks in the church in a lot for a long time who have put themselves first at the table. And we now live in an age where the church is being asked by society, get out of your seat and maybe go to the end. And we've lost some of that respect. I mean, we are actually facing this parable in some real ways, right? You've put yourself first and now you're going to be humbled rather than putting ourselves with the poor, which is where Jesus put himself. But the way that this parable sort of ends, it says, when you hold a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends and your brothers, your relatives, your wealthy neighbors in case they invite you back and you have repayment. Rather, when you hold a banquet, invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. Blessed indeed will you be because of their inability to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. It's hard to read Jesus' parable about holding a banquet and inviting the poor outside of the banquet that Jesus is about to hold, which he will call the Last Supper, which will then be extended into the Eucharistic meal for all of us. And who did he invite? The poor and the lame and the blind and the beggars. It goes back. Now we go back all of a sudden to the psalm, right? And your whole analogy of the church being a home and a safe place for the poor. Right. And it's not just structurally so. It's that because the Lord has thrown a banquet and invited all of us who are poor to come to the banquet. There's air conditioning here. Right. It's cool. I mean, we were facing it even this morning. So one of our yeah. one of our folks missionaries was like, <clears throat> is this guy who's in the chapel with us, is he, oh. is he safe? Because he seemed a little drugged or yeah. like funny. And yeah. But but he's one of our poor and we know him well and yeah, yeah he was he's a little wild. And so you say, Yeah, no, no, you know, yeah. hang, you know, send one of our brothers in there just to like hang with him, but but yeah. he but he has a place within the but chapel. He has a place there. It's right. Hard. He has a he has a home for the poor and, and I'm happy that actually he knows to go there when yes. he's in a weird place. Yeah. There is something really important about that. Yeah, and, and e- even though it's not safe, and and, and right. there's there's something hard about it, but then at the same, and it makes demands upon the body of Christ. Yeah, which we of course 
make demands on the rest of the body in Christ in the same way. Right. But it might not be in the those same kinds of things. But to recognize to recognize the home for the poor that Jesus established is supposed to empower us to recognize our own poverty and to go home yeah. and to go into the air conditioning. That's probably going to be the name of the podcast, about <laughs> air conditioning. <laughs> yeah. Like, can you tell it's a little hot in Colorado? A little bit hot, a little bit warm. <laughs> uh, but yeah. how I wish it were already blazing. <laughs> it is. So yeah. may you not come to Colorado and blaze. Mm. That's all I got, man. Yeah, me too. All right. Hey, you guys, we love you. God bless you. Pray for all campus, uh, um, for all university ministries yes. everywhere. Um, this is a wild time, and, and the priests who God has asked to do that ministry and their staffs, are they are, they are hopping. And these students who long for souls, they are hopping. And you pray for them and pray for them and fast for them and love them because, boy, howdy, the transformation of the culture comes only through that. That's it, man. All right, we'll be back next week. Or mostly to that. Mostly to that. Okay, bye. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) The Word on the Hill podcast is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org slash A-I-C-T. And you can find the Lanky Guys podcast at lankyguys.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next time.